global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey there, Tyler here, field agronomist with A Better Way to Farm. Did you know we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money? We thank you for tuning in to this podcast today. And this one to me is always a fun one when I get to invite friends on here and just have a little conversation. It's always a good time because I never know what I'm going to say or what they're going to say. I'm blessed that I get to do this for Rod and the A Better Way to Farm team. As we dive into this conversation, I wanted to bring on a couple experts that I feel on a rare occasion are outstanding in their field. Good friends of mine. They've been on the show before. Good friends of yours, or they certainly will be after this episode, but one Chris Wilson and one Mr. Preston Garobi. Thank you, boys, for joining me today. You betcha. Awesome, buddy. I wanted to talk about drones in particular, not to get too off topic. I'd love to say kind of a a 30,000 foot view, but I think actually it's 400 foot view. Is that the limitations that we're at, I believe, boys? That is correct, yes. Yep. So kind of a a 400 foot view of kind of the industry, where it's going. We've got a a new pilot in in training about ready to become a a cert. Well, you are certified, uh, Preston. And then Chris, as a a seasoned veteran of the aerial application (laughs) world. Um, and, and just kind of have that chat about drones as we kind of wind out the season. Chris, I know you're super busy. We're super busy. Possibly, I don't know if you're doing any cover crops, but I know Preston, you're looking at doing cover crops and stuff with your drone. But kind of talk us through a little bit of the startup. You know, we've got a listener on here that's saying, hey, I may be interested in getting a drone or I may be interested in working with somebody that has a drone. So I'm just going to open this up for you guys and and you guys just kind of take it away. Where do you start when you have that initial thought? I, I want to get a drone. I want to work with somebody that has a drone. So I guess I'll start off by saying that Raiden, my son, came to ProAg this summer and we had a couple of gentlemen there that have been doing drone work this year and last year. And so he really took light to that and really took a liking to that. And he said, let's do that. And so then started looking more into the technology and more into the opportunities that are there. In our little corner of the world, there is immense opportunity. And I would say that even if 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 guys had the same idea that we are so far from market saturation that the opportunities are essentially endless. endless, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Wilson? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that, Preston. I think, especially in our area, like you said, the work is there, essentially, because as we know, and then we talk about a lot, timing is so crucial with a lot of our applications, especially with most of the fungicide stuff is what guys are really looking at for drones. And it really just gives you or gives the farmer more control of what they're doing. They're not going to have to wait on an applicator if you're looking at a plane or a helicopter. Most of the time, these guys have so many customers already lined up. And then by the time this guy needs it done, it's already two weeks too late. And maybe the, you know, the efficiency is not going to be there. The response is not going to be there. And so it gives the farmer more control, which is what we're really, we talk about all the time. You guys have heard it on the podcast over and over and over again. We want to give the farmer more control. And on top of that, like with what you're doing with your son, Preston, I mean, it's, it's another reason for young people to come back to the farm 
and start a business up because he said the work is there. It creates extra income to come back to your family farm. And we all love hearing that. We always always love those stories. So it's awesome. Absolutely. So how do you, if you're interested, how, where do you start? How do you, how do you get going? Is there any advice that you could give that listener on that aspect of it? Do, do you just Google search it and go from there? Well, I would absolutely say come to our two-day fundamentals of agronomy program and network with some of the other people that are there and that are already doing it. We have such a fantastic team that everybody helps everybody. Mm-hmm. And and that's a great way to kind of poke around and figure out, you know, what's working for everybody else. Um, you know, we have a, like I said, we have an awesome team and everybody's willing to help and they can give you that insight, you know, and those tips and those tricks and, and what is working for them and maybe what they tried and, and didn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to just carbon copy that comment, Preston. I mean, it's I mean, that's really what it's all about. You know, find somebody that's already done it and learn from their mistakes and what they did wrong or what didn't work and learn from their experiences. Do your research. You know, there's several different drones in the market. So do your research. There's some that we really like or some that maybe, you know, it's everybody's going to have their different perspective on what fits for your operation. And it might be different. You know, for me, you know, we're a small farm, you know, farming operation. And, you know, compared to somebody that's maybe you know, a larger operation and they're into the world. So you kind of got to fit, you know, find what drone is going to fit your operation. So now when you're doing your research and let's just go the, the first route, let's go, hey, I want to buy a drone and I want to start flying my own acres. Is there any, I mean, is it all just about cash and knowing somebody you just go out and buy a drone and you can start flying it or or what on the private side, what do we need to know on the private side first to get going? Are there any licenses or anything that you need as far as that goes? So we've been going through that process. So Raiden and I both got our um, part 107 licenses, which is a remote pilot. Okay. Um, And it's kind of interesting because the pilot doesn't actually have to be the one operating the controls. And we learned that going through this process, that uh, the pilot in command is essentially just that. They're the one that's in command. So they have to be on location and have to be available that if the controls need to be taken over, that they can. But with that being said, they don't have to be the one operating it. So you can have, you know, three, four people there and one of them has to be licensed. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to do it for yourself, though, you still need to look at that part 107 from the FAA, not the FFA. There's a difference there. Pretty critical couple letters. Yes. Acronyms are very important <laughs> in the government. Absolutely. Yes. But yes, the FAA Part 107 is your initial license. And that's just an exam that you have to go take. They give you a couple hours to take it. And it's only 60 questions. But I highly encourage you to study. Um, take the time to do it. Maps and vectors. Um, study maps. That's probably the biggest thing that that I learned after taking the exam, that if you really spend a lot of time on the maps, that you'll, you'll do well on the test. Yeah. So then looking at things commercially, like you guys are, are both doing this basically for hire. The Better Way to Farm team, you know, when we're looking at fertilizer, those are really the, the base recommendations that we're making. We're not really doing much beyond that. Now, in my background, I, I used to come from that. And Preston, I know we used to work together on on selling wholesale chemicals. Uh, I think you still dabble in it just a little bit. But that side of it, I know that you need a commercial applicator's license. If you're just running with 
our system and some of those products or maybe looking at like cover crops or what can you do and, and what can you not do with a particular license or not being licensed? Are there products or uh, kind of categories that you have to stay out of? So I don't want to make this sound too complicated, but there is a process that goes along with that. Besides the Part 107 license, you also need an exemption, which I believe is called the 44807 exemption, which is the over 55 pounds, which is something that's fairly new and something that's critical. And then beyond that is the Part 137 exemption, which is actually your aerial application exemption with the license. And those two exemptions can actually be tied to a corporation. Um, not to an individual. So we, with Raiden's business, G5 Ag, the business has applied for those exemptions. Him and I individually both got our licenses. So there's those things. But beyond that, it goes very similar to your commercial applicators. Um, you would have your core in the state of Iowa. Yep. You would have your core test, your 1A, 1B, and 1C, which is your pesticide, your, your fungicide, and your herbicide licenses. And then there's also an aerial applicator license, which is your category 11. And so in the state of Iowa, you actually need all of those things. Okay. And then at, at that point, once you've kind of done the research and, and you kind of know the drone, because again, like Chris, like you were saying, uh, there are some drones that they vary in size and they, they vary in application methods. They vary on technology. And once you make that decision, then kind of walk us through what you do anyway, kind of in your eyes on applying products through, I don't know if you're doing any herbicides yet, or if you're just sticking with some of the liquid fertility that we offer. And, and I know you you had a big fungicide season, kind of cover crops. I know Preston, you're kind of into the cover crops as well. So kind of walk us through a little bit on some of those, how, how you're choosing products, kind of do's and don'ts of, you know, do this, don't do that you know, compatibility tests, all of that stuff. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we did some foliar stuff with our products this year. I did just wrap up a pretty a good sized fungicide season. For our foliar stuff, you know, we do a lot of testing. So we're doing, you know, we're starting out with the soil test. And then as the season goes by, as we hit these windows where the foliar windows are, we're pulling tissues and we're going directly based off the tissue test. We're always still doing jar tests. We're still trying to make sure the compatibility is good because we have had a couple instances where we're running a super low gallon rate, guys load it up, and then we have a mess in the tote or tank or whatever. We don't want to do that, right? It's going to, you know, it's a waste of dollars. We're pretty much throwing dollars away. So we always recommend to do that jar test, even with our stuff, make sure everything's going to be good. For the fungicide for this year, most of the guys that I worked with, they already had their fungicide pretty much picked out and ready to roll. So I don't know if we want to throw out product names for that, but there were several different ones and a lot of popular ones. So, but uh, it just goes back to the timing thing. I mean, people, they want it done now. They want it done at their time and you can cover acres pretty good, more efficiently than you think with a drone. If your setup's good, you can cover some acres pretty well. I was telling these guys earlier, I think for our neck of the woods, we're a lot of brush, a lot of smaller fields a lot of moving around and I was still covering probably 40, 41 acres an hour. So, and that's with a T40, with a DJI, it can move pretty good. And it's, and it's a lot of, you know, what your, what your operator is doing. You're going to fly it a couple of times. You're going to learn your limits. You're going to figure out what the most efficiencies are. You're probably going to change your trailer several times on what works and what doesn't, because you'll get out there and you'll say, Oh, I can do this better or I can do this better. And then you'll start tearing stuff down and you'll be, I mean, that's what we've been doing the last two years. The drones are a, 
are a new technology. So we're still learning as we go. It's not just something we've all got it figured out already. You know, it's just things are changing fast, ag's changing fast, and and we're just trying to learn as much as possible as we go through the seasons here. So then a uh, side note, what do you recommend for a trailer if you've already kind of, if you're working on version 3.0 of a spray trailer, what are your kind of thoughts and suggestions to the listener that's starting to go through that process right now? Or even as I know that Preston has contacted you, Chris, several times, but but what could you even tell Preston about that trailer setup? I mean, you can make it as simple as possible. For the last two seasons, I've just used a tote and a pump and just a tote pump. And for my agitation, you know, I would just run the hose in the top of the tank and then we'd keep the agitation that way. Next year, I'm actually moving to a hundred gallon mixing cone. And so then we're mixing 50 acre batches. I mean, it comes down to it. The totes are hard to clean out, right? They're just, you can barely ever get them completely cleaned out of whatever you're spraying prior to what the next customer is. And they're just, they're a pain in the butt, right? So the cone makes it so they're easier to clean out. And then we're mixing small batches throughout the day. And then on top of that, we're going to try and get a better observation deck. And so that way we're landing the drone on top and then we can carry more water. Cause at this point I can only carry, you know, one tote of water with your generator and everything else. This way it was going to make it. So instead of, if I'm doing a two gallon carrier rate, instead of holding 125 acres worth of stuff, I can double that. And that way I'm coming back less times to get water and et cetera and stuff like that. So it kind of depends on what you want to do. I have, you know, I know there's several companies out here that are making pre-made trailers and they're costing quite a bit of dollars. You know, guys look at these trailers and they're, they're asking $25,000, $30,000. Sometimes that may be appealing for some people's operations and some people may look at that like myself. I would never do that because it's not feasible for our operation. You can do something super simple. I've got a deck over 20 foot trailer. It doesn't have a dovetail because last year I did do most of my spraying off a car trailer, which was shorter and smaller. And it had that dovetail on there. Well, the problem I was having was when I'd pull in across crossings or field entrances or whatever, I'm dragging, dragging the ground, you know? And so with that deck over, there's no dovetail. So then I can get through those water crossings and I've gotten through some pretty steep ones and been still a little nervous, but as long as you got everything strapped down good, you're going to have no problem. So like I said, it's it's a learn-as-you-go thing, but we're learning as fast as we can. Yeah, and I would love to expand on a couple of things that Chris talked about. He mentioned compatibility test, and so and a jar test. So when you talk about a jar test, so that is the same ratios as what it's going to be applied at. So if you're talking about 13.7 ounces of, of a fungicide, that that needs to be mixed, that 13.7 ounces to the acre with the same amount of carrier, whether that's water, whether that's Feast XL or whatever. And I'm going to recommend that anytime you make a pass out there that you've got some nutrients in there of some sort, um, whether you're doing just a foliar pass or whether you're doing a fungicide pass, if you're taking the time to make that pass, you just as well have some nutrients in there and, and uh, kick that crop into high gear. The other thing I want to expand on was you talked about the efficiency with the trailer. And yes, we have been doing a lot of research. We are currently designing and building our setup. So we've looked at a lot of pictures, talked to a lot of different people. I and... thought you said you had four of those trailers on order. <laughs> no, <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be a big <laughs> no for me, dog. But efficiency, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, because the cycle time is, is really crucial to get that 40 to 41 acres an hour. You know, how long does it take you from the time the drone lands until the time the drone lands the second time? 
you know, that cycle time, how efficient can you be changing the batteries, filling the tank and doing whatever you need to do between the, between the, when the drone lands and takes off again. So you bring up a, another question that I have, is there any regulations or, or any suggestions on how many people I know, Preston, you said there only needs to be one pilot in the group if there's more than one person and the person flying the drone doesn't necessarily have to be the pilot. The pilot just has to be there. But if you're, can you do this on your own? Like, is this something that, that you say, Hey, you know what? I'm a 400 acre farmer. I, you know, honestly, boys, uh, we work with a lot of them. You know, if you fall into that category, is this something that you can do on your own or do you need to have a second person or where do you see kind of that cut off or that, uh, threshold of, hey, you know what, if you're at 600 acres, you can do it on your own. But if you're, you know, 601 acres, you, you know, you better be finding somebody else or working with somebody or something. I think that one's you, Preston. All right. So I guess my take on that is that you're supposed to have a visual observer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is a person that their job is to watch the drone. Okay. So you're supposed to have a visual line of sight as the actual person on the controls. So there's supposed to be those two different people, and they're both supposed to maintain eye contact with the drone at all times. So so you've got those two people, and then, then you know, whether the observer can be the mixer or the loader at the same time, you know, because then some people will switch off and say, the pilot lands the drone. And I don't know how the all the legal goes along with that, but the pilot lands the drone, and then the pilot becomes the visual observer, while the normal visual observer then becomes the loading person. So you've got those things. And then, you know, at what point do you say, okay, we need to add another drone. Then that schematic comes along. How many visual observers do you need for how many drones and mm -hmm. and the loading people and, and all those things? How can you scale those type of things? Currently with the T-40, you can only fly one T-40 per controller per person. Um, some of the smaller ones they're talking about swarming yeah. to be able to swarm with some of the smaller drones. But um, that's not something you can do with the T-40 as of yet. So what would you say is an ideal kind of acre total for somebody to look at getting their own drone or is, or is there a combination of you and your neighbor then that would kind of come together on a drone or, or where are you guys at? Because again, you guys do have some custom businesses, but you both farm a little bit as well. I know you're using them on the farms. So where do you see kind of, again, going back to that threshold of this is how I would recommend it, man. If you're interested, you know, get with a buddy or do it yourself or whatever. What what are your guys' thoughts? So I'm going to say my take on that is just like with anything, um, the operator is key. You know, if you look at somebody running a ground rig, somebody running a ground rig can do a fantastic job. And that's a lot of the operator, because if they have a bad operator, they can run over a lot of crop. If you have a bad pilot with an airplane, they can leave streaks. And just like with a drone, you know, they could leave streaks as well or or run their borders wrong or or those type of things. So the operator is is the key thing there. And I'm going to make the recommendation that if you don't feel you have enough acres to justify it yourself, that you don't go pick up some custom acres because there is plenty of opportunity for that. So so if you don't know of someone that you can trust to be a good operator, that that should probably be you. <laughs> Yeah, I think the work's going to be there. But what I was thinking too, Preston, was that for us, for instance, you know, we're around 550 acres. That's corn and beans. Um, we got a little extra hay acres too. But for guys that are even smaller than that, like, yeah, I've gone out and I've done some extra custom work 
you know, for neighbors of mine, I've been lucky enough that I don't have to drive very far. I can do it here real close. And so that's nice. Um, but for guys that are maybe even smaller than that, I think I could do our acres and be fine using it. One, the timing is going to be crucial. I'm the only one that's going to do it. We're doing the tissue test. We're doing all the whole nine yards. But maybe for guys that maybe don't want to spend the money, they make smaller drones. And so maybe if you are less acres, maybe you don't look at the T40. Maybe you look at, I think there's a T20. I think there's even a T10. I mean, that's a little smaller. So, and they're less dollars. So, I mean, there's never, like I said, we say this over and over, there's not one size fits all. I mean, you just got to figure out what works for you. And I know several of the guys that we work with dealer wise, they'll recommend that. They'll say, okay, maybe not a T40 because of how many acres you farm. Maybe you need to do a T20 or a T30 or something smaller that's going to fit you better. Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate that advice. As we kind of wrap up this episode on drones and and kind of, you know, the, the things to think about and, you know, if this kind of works in your operation or not, I guess I would just ask each one of you, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot and then I'll have Preston kind of finish it up. What advice would you give the listener that that's kind of just dabbling in this, trying to make that decision again. Do I do this? Do I do I not do it? Do I find someone? What advice can you give them with these questions in their head? I would just say that the last two years of myself operating one, the positives outweigh the negatives by far. And especially if you're going to be working with a better way to farm and our products that we talk about at our meetings, at the fundamentals of agronomy trainings. That's really the main reason why I picked up a drone was because we do plant narrow row beans and everybody knows how hard it is to drive down 18 inch, 15 inch beans with a ground rig. And especially when they get taller because we're using starter in furrow or not technically in furrow, but we're doing it through the wings of a furrow jet. So we're real close, but we're not not in furrow. And so those beans, they get really tall on us like real fast. And so the drone was a good thought for me that you know, with doing the, t- the tissue test, it's something that I'll be able to go in. We're not tracking up the crop. I know some people that's kind of an argumentative thing on that, but it was mainly focused for our beans. The corn, I can get up and down those rows with our ground rig, no problem. But if I have the choice, I'm 100% doing it with the drone if I've got the weather. If the weather's good and I've got a good window, you can bet it that I'm going to run that drone instead of that ground rig for sure. Yeah, and I want to reiterate what you said earlier about the younger generation bringing them back to the farm. You know, if if you're a little hesitant about maybe running a drone or whatever, you know, talk to your kids. You know, my son is 19. He'll be 20 here before too long. And to be able to bring him back to the farm and, and him have a drone business and be able to operate that on our acres and then plus go get some custom acres, that's huge. But I also want to say that talking with my dealer that I work with for the drone, said that they've been training a few guys that are 60 and 70 years old to run the drone and they're getting along just fine. Um, the automation that's with it, the technology in that controller is just mind boggling. So they're, they're very easy to operate. You can do it. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the time that you were able to spend with us. I know that was kind of a, a hot and heavy 400 foot view of drones and you know whether we should jump into them or or what should we you know what we should do with that <clears throat> so I, I very much appreciate that guys so thank you for tuning in and for those of you that are listening I thank you again we always 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 appreciate you tuning into our podcast I know we we very much value you know the three of us happen to be a few of the individuals on the sales side of the better way to farm team And thank you all very much for tuning into this. And as always, we hope that you have a better day. 
You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.